The Old Testament reading for this, the 25th Sunday after Pentecost, comes from the prophet Daniel, the 12th chapter. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. The epistle reading comes from the letter to the Hebrews, the 10th chapter. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering... He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. The Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, brothers... Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful." And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. And the Holy Gospel, which serves in the text for our sermon this morning, comes to us according to St. Mark, the 13th chapter. As Jesus came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. 
There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this is the gospel of our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. William Miller said March 21st, 1843. Later, Miller said October 22nd, 1844. Ellen White, founder of the Seventh-day Adventist, said 1850, and then 1856. December 17, 1999, said meteorologist Albert Porta. Herbert Armstrong thought 1936, or perhaps 1975, depending on how you looked at it. NASA scientist Edgar Wisenot said October 11, 1988. The Watchtower Society said 1914, and 1915, 1918, 1920. 1925, 1941, 1975, 1994, and several others in the last few years. What are all these dates? These are just a few of the more recent predictions of when the world would end. Each of these people and groups claim to know that on that particular date or in that particular year, the end of the world would happen. And these are just a few of the examples. There are literally thousands of dates on which people made bold predictions that the world would come to an end. How many of them were correct? Well, we're still here, so none. Doomsday prophecy, it's nothing new. It's been going on for thousands of years. People have this fanciful notion that they need to figure out when God will put an end to our world. They see secret messages in Scripture. They see portents in nature. They read into astronomical events. Even unbelievers analyze climate change and carbon footprints. Everyone wants to know how long we have left on this planet. And you have to admit, you're curious too, aren't you? I know I am. And I know the apostles were. In the Gospel reading, Peter, James, John, and Andrew come to Jesus in private, and they ask him about it. He had said that none of these stones would be on top of each other. The destruction of Jerusalem, and in fact the destruction of the world, was coming. And they go and say, tell us, when will these things happen? They want to know when the end will come, just like we do. And Jesus' answer, of course, doesn't exactly satisfy their curiosity. He doesn't give them a date, a year, or even any kind of a vague time frame. What he does give them, however, is a warning. Watch that no one deceives you. 
It's like Jesus knew that people were fascinated with the end of the world and that some would come up with false predictions. It's like Jesus knew that there were those out there who would be misled by these predictions, those who would get so caught up in the dates and times that they would actually lose sight of the cross. It's like Jesus knew that this warning was important, not just for those four apostles, but for all of us as well. It's like he knew those things because, of course, he did know those things. Jesus gave this warning knowing exactly how many people would make bogus predictions, knowing just how captivating the last day is, knowing our human desire to know when the end was coming. He knew that mankind would put such a heavy emphasis on the end of the world, and he knew that that could be a huge stumbling block to so many people. He knew this because he is God, and he knows everything. So with that knowledge, he mercifully gives to his apostles and to all believers this warning. Watch that no one deceives you. As humans, we are fascinated with how the end-time prophecies will be fulfilled. We want to know all the details, want to know exactly what's going to happen and when it will happen. Christians do the same. When you first sit down at a Bible study to discuss what topics or book to study, I can just about guarantee that one book will be mentioned. Revelation. Because we want to read it as a roadmap. We want to know what's going on in that crazy book with all the destruction so we can be ready for it. Go to your nearest Christian bookstore and what section is always one of the largest for both fiction and nonfiction? End times. People are pumping out book after book and movie after movie trying to tell people what the last days will be like. Even with academic papers, so many of them look to the end times or study the prophecies that point to the end and come up with this grand scheme and say, this is when it's all going to go down. In fact, you can make pretty good money and have a thriving career if you're a really good last days kind of preacher. Preachers like that are in great demand on the circuits. The end of the world sells and everyone's buying. We all want to know about the end of the world. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, Jesus himself gives us some ideas as to what will happen as the end approaches. These last Sundays of the church here all focus very heavily on the end times. And some bad stuff is going to happen. Wars and rumors of wars. Children turning their parents over to be killed. Believers being persecuted. God gave us his prophecies and his revelation about the end of the world in order for us to be prepared. It is good to study God's word, and it is good to look at these writings. The problem comes when the end of the world becomes so consuming in our lives that we can't think of anything else. When we are so focused on seeing the end, on interpreting the signs, on figuring out when exactly it's going to happen, we lose sight of what's actually important. Sadly, for many people, the end of the world is a terrifying suggestion. Many books and movies dwell on the horrors that are to come, the sheer terror of seeing the world crumble around us. So many people focus so heavily on the pain and the torment involved at the end that they forget about the cross, the salvation, 
the redemption of this world. In the end, the heavens and the earth will pass away. Not one stone will be left atop another. Nation will rise against nation. Wars and rumors of wars will abound. Christians will be persecuted, handed over to the authorities, publicly abused. Children will rebel against their parents, even having them put to death. Natural disasters, earthquakes, and famines. Everything that we know is going to change, decay, and pass away. Everything, that is, except for the cross of Jesus Christ. That's what we focus on. That's what we proclaim here today. Even as we're talking about the last day, even as we are looking at the end of the world, we do so always in the light of the cross. Because that's where our salvation is, our forgiveness, our joy. Our salvation doesn't come from within ourselves because we know that death will overtake us. Our salvation doesn't come from making accurate predictions about the end of the world because we know that we are always wrong. Instead, our salvation is there, in the cross of Jesus Christ. On that cross, Jesus took away all of our sin, forgiving us completely, shedding his blood to set us free. On that cross, God himself died to make you perfect, to pay in full the penalty of all your transgressions every time you disobeyed his holy word. And even though everything else will pass away, the cross will stand for all eternity. It will not be shaken. It will not fall. It will not change or leave us. Even if the horrors of the end begin to engulf us, we need only look to the cross for comfort and even joy. That's how we as Christians can remain calm as others panic about the end of the world. That's how we can even rejoice as we see these signs beginning to be fulfilled. When we hear of wars and rumors of wars, we are shaken and we are disturbed because that's bad. But we're not shaken to the core. Our faith stands firm, not focusing on just the war, but looking to the cross. We pray for all those who are afflicted by war. We pray for peace to come to across the world. We pray that we would be delivered from the pain and suffering that threatens us. But through it all, we don't lose hope. And when bad things happen, we don't assume that God has left us. We know that these things must happen, no matter how hard we try to make them not happen. And as disturbing as they might be, we still rejoice in the cross. In fact, we even rejoice when those end-time afflictions come upon us personally. Jesus told us that we will be persecuted for our faith, but that he will never leave us. Persecution is bound to happen, but the Holy Spirit gives us the power to withstand, to hold fast to our Christian faith, even in the most dire of circumstances. As we face that persecution, the Holy Spirit is there with us, giving us the right words to speak. This doesn't necessarily mean that we become some sort of ventriloquist dummy, just kind of moving our mouths while God does the voice for us. But the Spirit gives us the words to speak through years of training and preparation in the church, in addition to his inspiration in the moment. We will speak God's word through the deep roots that we have in the church and in the faith. 
We will know what to say because of our confirmation training, what we've learned in Bible studies and personal devotions. We will repeat that gospel message that we have memorized, that we have heard time and time again here in the liturgy, in our hymns, in everything that we do in the church. As Christians, we're not called to be as annoying, offensive, and irritating as possible. But we are called to boldly proclaim God's word by the power of the Holy Spirit, whether people enjoy hearing it or not. And spoiler, they won't. Many times, this is going to lead to our own persecution and even punishment. But as we are persecuted, we will rejoice. Because that means that our message is being heard by those who need to hear it. And as we proclaim that gospel message, we know that it applies to us as well. As we proclaim the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, we rejoice that we share what we ourselves benefit from firsthand. Knowing that message, hearing it repeated so often, we can have peace even if the end is near. Even as we acknowledge that we are sinners deserving the wrath of God. Even as we see the world crumbling all around us. Rather than getting caught up in the doom and gloom of the end times, we look to the cross and the empty tomb, and we realize what the end really means. It's the end of sin as we leave behind this broken world and our sinful nature. It's the end of death as we enter into life everlasting. It's the end of the scattered and broken church as Jesus comes again to gather all believers together to himself in heaven. It's the end of all suffering as we enter into that glorious church triumphant, heaven itself. Washed by the blood of the Lamb, we are forgiven of all of our sins. Heaven, God's eternal kingdom of perfection, is given to us. Out of the brief turmoil, horror, and pain, we are delivered into everlasting peace, joy, and life. You probably remember the song from a little while back that said, It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. In fact, as Christians, we feel better than fine. We feel joyous, ecstatic, wonderful, and at perfect peace. Not because of the destruction going on around us, but because Jesus Christ chose us, died for us, forgave us all of our sins. So when will these things be? Honestly, we don't know exactly. And we don't have to either. The answer that Jesus gave to the apostles, it's sufficient for us as well. No date, no time frame, just a gracious warning. Watch that no one deceives you. Don't get caught up in the doom and gloom of it all. And don't get bogged down in the details that don't actually matter. Whether the end comes in 10 minutes or 10,000 years, our focus is on the cross. Look to Jesus Christ. Look to his atoning sacrifice at all times. And whenever it happens, you will be prepared. Trust in the might and wisdom and grace of your heavenly Father, for all things are in his hands. And when the end comes, whether it is the end of all things or just the end of your life individually, Hold fast to the gospel of Jesus Christ and the eternal victory that is given there. 
For by the cross of Jesus Christ alone, by his empty tomb alone, you are forgiven of every one of your sins, and eternal life in heaven is yours. To God alone be all glory, now and forever. Amen.